Um, I am really excited uh, this week uh, because this is the start of a series of sermons that I've been working on for a couple of months and just going through some of the information and I'm really, really excited. I've learned a lot. Um, we call it the 10 life principles every Christian should know. However, uh, there's actually so many. Uh, there's about 30 of them. Uh, Chuck Stanley uh, actually wrote a book on these 30 principles, and I've kind of uh, gone through that book and those studies, and we're picked out the top 10. Uh, and so uh, today we begin uh, by going through life principle to live by number one. Number one principle is our intimacy with God, His highest priority for our lives, determines the impact of our lives. Now th let that kind of sit with you just a little bit. Our intimacy with God, which is His highest priority, our intimacy with Him is His highest priority, determines the impact of our lives. I think one of the one of the, the biggest needs that we have as a human being is to know that we are loved and accepted. Sometimes we don't know that's our biggest need, but I think that you would probably agree that is one of our biggest needs. If you look in 1 Corinthians 13, the ver first three verses, it's a very famous chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. It says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries of all knowledge, and I know all those things, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So, obviously, God feels like this idea of needing to know that we are loved and accepted, needing to know about love and how it works, is of highest importance. It's more important than giving to the needy, giving to the poor. It's more important than having all knowledge and all uh, uh, this other, these other things. It's critical to our life. Each of us has to feel certain deep down that someone loves us. It's a need that they care for us and that they have our best interest at heart. God has designed us this way. And we will do anything, face anything, endure any number of trials and suffering to know that we are loved. As a matter of fact, our society is filled with a whole culture of people who are searching for love and acceptance. And they're searching for it in so many different ways. I uh, uh, went to the movies this last week with Nate, and we saw the movie I, Tanya, which is about Tanya Harding, the famous figure skater. And all through that uh, film, I kept thinking one thing. What is she, she searching for? What was she searching for? She was searching for love and acceptance. There was one particular scene, and... Uh, she was sitting down at a cafe with her mother, and this was the interchange. Tanya says, when I was a kid, did you ever love me or anything? And her mother said, you think Sonia Henney's mother loved her? Sonia Henney's a famous, you know, famous skater. 
I didn't stay home making apple brownies. No, I made you a champion, knowing that you'd hate me for it. That's the sacrifice a mother makes. I wish I had a mother like me instead of a nice one. Nice doesn't get you anywhere. I didn't like my mother either, so what? I gave you a gift, she said. And Tanya looked at her and said, you cursed me. You're a monster. And her mother said, spilt milk, baby, spilt milk. So you see, all through that movie, Tanya was cursed. What was she cursed by? She was cursed by she was searching for love. She got married young to a very abusive man. And what was she searching for? She was searching for love, to be accepted by someone. The statistics bear it out. 74% of girls say they are under pressure to please everyone. 98% of girls feel there is an immense pressure from an external source to look a certain way. 92% of teen girls would like to change one thing about the way they look. 90% of eating disorders are found in girls. One in four girls today fall into a clinical diagnosis of depression, eating disorder, or cutting. On top of these, many more report being constantly anxious, sleep-deprived, or under significant pressure. 90, or 78% of girls 17 or over are unhappy with the way they look. Now I say girls, but you know the statistics are boys are not far behind. We are searching for something. And we're looking in all the wrong places. I had an argument with my mom and dad when I think I was about 12. Who's 12? Anybody 12 in here? You 12? Turning 12. So about your age. had an argument with my mom and dad one night. Or my mom, because um, my dad didn't live with us. And... Uh, had an argument because I heard her, overheard her talking to my dad, and she said, no, he doesn't want to see you. And I didn't know what it meant. I thought I knew what it meant. I thought she was talking to my dad and saying that I didn't want to see him. And I knew that that was the furthest thing from the truth. Matter of fact, I wanted to see him. I wanted to see him all the time, but I didn't get a chance to see him very often. And so I had this argument with her, and I walked out of the house. It was a, probably about 9, 9.30 at night. I hopped on my bike, and I rode across town, and I was looking for my dad. And I knew that he had frequented this one particular bar, and I said, I'm going to go to this bar. And it was kind of far away. It was a very seedy bar. Do you know what that means? It's a very, yeah, not a good place for kids. And uh, But you know what? I didn't care. The number one thing on my mind was what? I wanted to tell him that what my mom had said was not true, that I had loved him, and I loved him, and I wanted to see him. And that was the only thing on my mind. I was, I was just focused and driven. I was just like, I got to get there. I got to get there. And I rode for miles, what seemed like miles. And I finally got there. I saw his car out in front. And I walked in. I didn't care who, what adult saw me. I didn't care if it was against the law. I didn't care if I got kicked out. 
my whole focus was telling him that I loved him and I did want to see them and see him. And I walked up to him. He was sitting at the bar. I walked up and I sat at the bar with him and I started bawling. And I started pouring my heart out and telling him that what she had said was wrong, that I did want to see him. And we, we had a lovely talk in the middle of that CD bar. <laughs> but the, the point is what? We are created. God creates us to desire to be loved and to be accepted. And if we don't get that from anywhere, we're going to seek it out no matter where it comes from. No matter what we have to do, we are going to seek it out. Some years ago, Dr. Carl Menninger, noted doctor and psychologist, was seeking the cause of many of his patients' ills. And one day, he called in his clinical staff, and he proceeded to unfold this new plan that he was developing. And so he said in his clinic, there would be an atmosphere of creative love that all patients were to be given large quantities of love. There, was, there would be no unloving attitudes. And if anybody was caught being any, anything other than loving, then they would not be a part of his clinic. He would kick them out. All of this were, was to begin and all the nurses and the doctors were to go about their work and about in all the various rooms that they had to go through with a loving attitude. And so he, that began at, at the end of six months. The time spent by patients in the institute was cut in half. In other words, the attitude of love, the attitude of, of them loving them, helped them get better. There's something inside of us that God has put there where we desire love. Not only does it do our emotions good, but it does our bodies good to feel that love and acceptance. It's important and it's needed. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, it's like being loved by God. Is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and it fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. The greatest need we have is to love and to be loved. And the reason why I started off with that point is, if unless we realize that, it's going to be hard for us to find that love in the right place. Number two, God created human beings with fellowship in mind first. First with him and then with others. In Genesis 1.26, if you go to your um, event, Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image or in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over all creeping things that creep on the earth. That one phrase is, a one, is the phrase that he didn't say anything. He didn't say that about any other of his creation. He made uh, the fish, he made the animals, the sky, the sun, the stars and everything. And then when it came to make man, he said, wait, Man is going to be different. Let us make man in our image. Let us make man 
to be like us. He loves us with a passion. Too deep for words. We are his creation. And of all creation, we are the only ones that were created in his image, in his likeness. In other words, look at yourself. All these girls that say they don't like themselves. Look at yourself. There are, there are parts of you that are just like God. You are just like him. You are in his image. Your uniqueness, your, your abilities, your talents, your, the, the wonderful things that you have that are unique to you, those, those things are created by him, created to be in relationship with him. We are created to be in relationship with him first, then with others. If you remember when uh, Adam and Eve were created, it was God's custom to what? Yeah, to come down in the cool of the evening and have a have have a, a walk and a relationship with his creation. That was the whole purpose. And he wants that to be again. Ephesians 2:10 says for we are his workmanship, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He's created us to be in relationship with him and to 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 work with him we are created human beings to fellowship with to fellowship with him first with him and then with others now here's the the full expression of the principle we cannot fully experience real love until we have experienced the love of god now, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We learn the kind of love he has for us and in turn know how to love others. That's how it's supposed to be. We experience the love of God and then we go, Oh, I should begin to love other people that way. But how do we learn love? Usually we learn love from parents, from partners, other people. And then when we learn how they love us, how do we, how, what do we do then? That's how we begin to love. Because that's the experience that we've had. So if you've had a bad parent who has, hasn't loved you with the love of God and you imprint your love on that parent, what happens? Then, then you're loving as that parent loved you, not as God loved you. Or if you've had a, a bad partner, maybe uh, you've had a partner who's loved you really, really poorly and you kind of just get the feeling, well, that's what love is. This is how my partner loves me, so that's, that's what love is all about. And so you begin loving others that way. Is that real love? No, that's the kind of love your partner has shown you that may not be godly love. And so that's why this point is so critically important. This point of the idea that we 
define our love by how God loves us. We can't fully experience the real love until we've experienced the love of God. So many times we settle for a counterfeit copy, a shadow, or a complete fake of what it means to give and receive love. And I don't know how many times I've seen people replacing God's love for some cheap imitation of what that means. Filling their lives with partners who they think really love them, but are loving them selfishly, only interested in what the relationship benefits them. How many of you have seen that ever? How many of you have experienced that ever? It's rampant in our society and our culture. And it all comes down to this particular principle. If we don't get this principle right, we could actually spend years and years not really knowing anything about how God's supposed to love us. That's why this principle is so important. I see people filling their lives with collections or being obsessed with material things, filling their lives with a shadow, thinking if they are surrounded by the things that they love, they will feel what? Loved in return. But I collected baseball cards. You know how much those cards loved me? They gave me no real satisfaction. The only satisfaction I had was when I sold them because it gave me finances to do something that was really, really important. You see, we, f we fill our lives full of all these things, thinking that if we're surrounded by those things, we'll, we'll feel satisfied or we'll feel that love. But possessions, collections, while they're nice to have, they can't love you back. It's only when we truly understand how God loves us that we see the selfless sacrifice that he made to give us life. When we see that and experience that, then we can imitate that by beginning to see what real love is all about. Then we can actually start loving people that way. Let me tell you, if you love people the way Jesus loved us, wow, your family will change. Your marriage will change. The way you raise your children will change. Everything that will be impacted by the love of God and, and your whole life will begin to change. This is the deep love that we are asked by God to walk in in Ephesians 2. When he says walk in this love, this is what he's talking about. He wants us to walk with this love in mind. But we try and replace it with other things. We try and... Uh, just replace that empty feeling of being loved and accepted. We try and replace that with, with a lot of different other things. We try and replace it with, with pleasure. There's countless forms of pleasure in our society. Today. I don't have to go through the list. You, you probably know them and have experienced some of them. And whatever form of pleasure turns you on, it's, it's always a cheap substitute for that relationship with God. It, it can't satisfy. We like to replace it with attention. I'm sure you know or have experienced this, that everything uh, we do, we want to be seen or we want people to see us doing it. And this is so evident in our culture of technology today and our culture of, of uh, what I call fake celebrities. You know? Why is that person a celebrity? Well, they're on Facebook and Instagram and they have so many followers and so that makes them famous. So that makes them 
important somehow? No, they have exchanged attention for that hole in their heart that should be filled with God and his love. They think they're receiving a lot of love because they have a lot of what? Likes. Right? I remember, uh, was it four or five years ago or maybe maybe soon ago, there was this big uproar about Facebook having a like button and not a, a love button. You remember that? Somebody, people, come on. You out there with me? There was this uproar. Oh, I, I, I want to feel more about that picture than like. So I got to love it, right? And I use it all the time. But why was there a big uproar? I think there was a big uproar because of this concept. People are replacing attention for the love of God. Because if they get 100,000 likes or five likes, what, what about the people who get no likes? What about those people? What are they feeling? They feel empty and alone. It's because we've replaced or we put this replacement of God's love into this idea of having all this attention. We replace it with money. We replace it with um, control. We like to have control. This idea of control is a, it's a myth, by the way, this idea of control. What we like to do with this idea of control is if we feel like we're in control of everything, we feel like we're okay, we feel loved. But sooner or later, what happens? You can control things to a certain point, but sooner or later, what happens to that control? There comes something in your life that you can't control, right? It's either a health issue or maybe it's a, a financial issue that's way beyond your control. You can't do anything about it. Maybe it's a relationship issue that, that uh, someone just leaves you and you can't do anything about it. Sooner or later you won't be able to control things. And guess what happens then? Then we ask who to take over. <laughs> God. We go, oh God, I did the best I could. I controlled it up to now, but man, you're going to have to take over now. That's how we handle control. What would happen? Let me just ask you, what would happen if we did it the exact opposite way? What would happen if we woke up every day and so go, God, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I want whatever happens to for you to be in control of it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I want you to control it. I want you to be the boss. I want you to control it. And I want your principles and the things that you've laid down in your word, I want those to be a part of my life, and I want you to control everything else. I think if we were to do that, a lot of the things that come into our lives that we can't control, they'd never happen. They wouldn't even be a part of our life. A lot of those things that, that are so overwhelming when we try and control it will already have worked themselves out way long ago. Life is unpredictable. We live a life that is so much harder in so many ways than uh, than what it used to be. And when we look at this principle, I think if you begin to, to put this principle into practice in your life, you're going to find 
that your relationship with God is going to grow and your intimacy with God is going to grow and it's going to determine the impact of your life. Our intimacy with God, His highest priority for our lives determines the impact of our life. Our intimacy, our relationship with God is huge. And I hope today that you've learned a little bit about how we can better that principle in our own lives. We have an opportunity to be in relationship with the creator of the universe. And I would encourage you to, to do some work on that this week. I know your lives are busy. Some of you are going to work today. Some of you will go to school and work tomorrow. And things will begin to roll just like they always roll. You have family issues that you have to deal with. But if you're not spending time in your life investing in this principle, then we will be separated from God. And I know that many of you do not want that as a part of your life. You want that closeness with Him. And I believe that if you spend time working on this, a lot of those other issues that you seem to have trouble with in, our, in your lives will calm down and will solve themselves and will sort themselves out. The worship team is going to come forward and we're going to have a little bit of a time of decision this is a new song for us. We haven't sang it as a church. But I want to use it as a little bit of a thinking song, a little bit of a, a meditation song, a time where you can kind of think, how am, I, how am I doing with this principle in my life? How am I going? Do I need to uh, make some adjustments? Do I need to make some uh, not, not, not only mental adjustments in my life, but are there physical things that I can adjust in my life to make sure that, that I am really putting the love of God into my life? Because I know that He is always there. He's always there and ready to help you incorporate that into your life. So uh, spend some time. You're welcome to sing along as well, but spend some time thinking, maybe do some, t some praying uh, on how you can start implementing life principle to live by number one.